Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hello and welcome back to our group. It's so nice to hear everybody's voice. We are on Chapter 2, Section 5. And last week I covered the first four paragraphs of Chapter 2, Section 5, which is the function of the miracle worker. And today we cover paragraphs 5 through 10, which um, a, lot of this, a lot of what we're going to cover today has already been covered in Section 4, as well as the first four uh, paragraphs of Section 5. So I was thinking about that and why we're kind of hearing the same message over and over again. And uh, on a somewhat funny note, I'm like, because we absolutely refuse to accept this message. Like, we're, it's the message today we've heard in the first 50 Principles of Miracles, we spent a lot of time in Section 4 talking about healing. Now, Section 5 is the function of the miracle worker. Again, we're talking about healing. And the course now is repeating itself over and over again to start to get us to understand that this really is the big crux of it. I mean, this, this section right here has everything in it in one section, but we're going to keep coming back to it and hearing different versions of it and hearing the same thing said different ways until we really make that flip in our mind of everything comes from our mind. That's the level which we create on. And when we heal our mind, everything else falls into place. Our spirit's already perfect. Our body's just going to follow our mind. And so when we heal our mind, everything falls into place. And we get that. I mean, we all understand that conceptually. We've, again, covered it numerous times. But the resistance comes up, and I, I can't remember if this was in this section or the past section, section four or uh, the first four paragraphs of this, but the resistance comes up because our biggest fear is that there's something wrong with our mind. So when we have these conversations and we say, all you have to do is heal your mind, it's rubbing up against our biggest resistance, which is, I know that there's something absolutely terribly wrong with me. I know the core of who I am. There's something terribly, horribly wrong. Everybody else has it figured out. They all kind of know what they're doing. But me, I have this deep, dark, horrific secret, and I can't let it see the light of day. Because if my secret saw the light of day, if people really knew me, then they would just, uh, I would die. Basically, Course in Miracles' concept is we all have the same fear, which is the fear of death. But the fear of death looks very different to us. So the fear of death to one person might be being all by themselves. The fear of death to somebody else might be having a sickly body. The fear of death to somebody else might be being excluded or being left out or not feeling good enough. So it all, it's all a different flavor of the basic fear of a fear of death. So we feel like if people really knew us, if they, if they you know, I know the, the version of myself I present to you all. I know the version of myself you're seeing, and I know it seems really awesome, but if you really knew me, 
if you really knew that there was something wrong with me, then I wouldn't be able to live. I would not continue to be able to live. So in this section, the course is really saying, start to understand that there is this, this altered reality where people are broken or bad or wrong. That's all the night. It's not real. That's not real. You've closed off your connection to everything that's real. And instead, you're living in this nightmare. And the longer you spend in this nightmare and the longer you respond to the things that happen in the nightmare, the more you validate the nightmare and the more you experience the effects of the nightmare and the more you, it, it talks in the section about your altar gets defiled, the more you kind of spin in this circle, but you're not going anywhere. You're a hamster on the wheel. You're, you're, you're not getting worse. If your, your situation might feel worse, but all of it's just an illusion. You're just in the same circle of suffering, of pain, of feeling less than, of feeling disconnected. It's all just one circle of pain. And healing comes when you see the circle of pain for what it is, you acknowledge that this is what keeps happening, and you say to yourself, I'm willing to see this differently. I'm willing to remember who I really am. And so there's a lot in this section. The healing in this section is, it, it actually says, and, and we're going to start Section 5 with this, the very first line of Section 5, and then I'll, I'll have you all read, but this, this first line, you can see that it's um, italicized. In the first line, the sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. And that is it. That is everything. Because the minute you accept the atonement for yourself, i.e., you're not broken, bad, wrong, guilty, horrible, terrible, you are a perfect creation, a perfect child of God. Yes, you may have done some things that were less than stellar, but those came from where you were really hurt. Those were a cry for help from you. Those quote-unquote bad things that you're judging yourself so harshly for never changed the true essence of who you were. Those were actions you took in the nightmare, in your confusion, when you got scared. You got scared, you forgot who you were, you got fearful, and you did the stupid stuff. And it really is stupid because you forgot who you were. You thought the nightmare was real. And so the atonement, the sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. Our only responsibility is to see our own innocence. Our only responsibility is to forgive ourselves. Our only responsibility is to look at all those horrible, terrible, our list, our mind has, I know, Amina, but what about the time you, oh, really, you, you, think, you think you're going to be let off? But what about when you did this? What about when you did that? is to just say, I did do those things. And I did those things in a moment of confusion. They are not who I am. And I forgive myself for what I did. And the minute you do that, you become the miracle for somebody else as well. You become lifted to that level where you truly are the miracle worker. You don't have to go, I don't have to say, you know, I've got so much guilt, Leslie. What can I do for you? I, I want to be your miracle, Leslie, because... I have so much guilt. No. When I say, you know what, Leslie, I've done some stuff and I forgive myself because I'm this perfect child of God and I, you know what, I'm not going to let that stuff hold me down anymore. 
because I've got great things I want to do in the world. All of a sudden, just by me saying that, gives you permission to do the exact same thing. And I become the miracle in your life. So I don't have to go figure out how to be the miracle in someone else's life. To be the miracle worker, I just have to, to walk this talk. I have to forgive myself. I have to remember that at all times, I am a perfect child of God, regardless of what I did, regardless of who I hurt. And this doesn't mean we, you know, shun responsibility. It's that we take it seriously and we say, man, I was really hurt and I really behaved in a bad way in that moment. We don't change who we are. Who I am essentially as a person is not bad or wrong or tainted in any way. But there was this action I did in this moment of fear, in this moment of confusion. You can take responsibility for the action. You should take responsibility for the action. And you should make amends for the action if that's possible, if that makes sense, if that's the right, you know, the the most loving, kind thing to do. But at no point do you turn that action inward and say, see, I knew that this was true about me. I knew that I was this horrible, terrible person. So that's really, I mean, that one sentence is this entire section. And then you're going to hear everything just repeated over and over again about seeing through the eyes of spirit, not the eyes of our body, about why we are so scared to heal ourselves because we're just so scared that there's, that if we say, I'm going to heal my mind, just, just saying, I'm going to heal my mind sends a message to us that there's something wrong with our mind, which is our greatest fear, that we are, there's truly I'm not like everybody else. I'm somehow less than, worse than, more bad than, whatever your words are, somebody else. So that's where we are right now. So before we uh, jump into paragraph five, just thoughts, comments on any of that. Not really anything um, earth-shattering, but it's amazing how that resonates because, I mean, when you were saying that, I started thinking, oh, but that's true. I really do have all these things wrong with me. I had to really stop that. Right. It's immediate. It jumped up. Yeah. It's funny, right, because we all mm-hmm. have it, but we all it's, – it's, it's every single one of us, it's our dirty little secret, but we all have the exact same dirty little secret. So it's funny because we're like, yeah, I totally relate to that. And then you're like, but I thought I was the only one. But it's all of us. We, every single one of us actually feels that way. We all handle it differently. But it all comes down to what if there's something wrong with me? I'm not enough. I'm bad. I'm whatever. Whatever the, the next level of belief is. I've noticed the last couple of days of been paying attention to what I say to myself, and it seems like I'm either criticizing, judging, or justifying what I just did in my own head. A lot. I mean, I didn't realize it, but I've been listening and paying attention. And um, why is that so hard to quit doing that? Well, and that's the healing of our mind, right? It's like, Instead of looking at the things, I mean, because I still, my my knee-jerk reaction is still to be like, why did I say that? What what was I thinking? What was going on? And this whole non-suffering practice that I've been talking to you all about has been earth-shattering for me because all of a sudden I said something 
and somebody else is having a total reaction to something I said. I said it, they're having a total reaction. Whereas before I would be like, why did I say that? Why did I even open my mouth? That's not even like me. Why did these words play out? All that thinking, if I'm not going to suffer, then all that thinking gets shut out. And I say, okay, well, they're having a reaction to something I said. And, you know, then I do the, the other practice I talked about. Is it, was it love or was it not love? You know, did I actually do something to harm the other person? Did I actually say or do something with the intention of, let me just, let me just get them. Let me be passive aggressive. Let me just say this and see what happens. Or did I, was I just walking down the street minding my business and then something came flying out of my mouth that offended someone? So I do that analysis. And at that point, I think, okay, well, this person's having a reaction. I don't need to add to it by adding all my drama to it. Let me just leave them alone and let me go on and be happy because I don't have to suffer just because somebody else is having something happen with that happened to them. I don't have to take responsibility because somebody else is less than ste- less than pleased with something I did. Right. It's often, a practice, though. Often, it's just got nothing to do with another person. <laughs> it's just me criticizing yes. the things I do all day long. Right. Right. But there's some kind of association in your own mind of I shouldn't have done that because because I harmed somebody, because I wasted time, because I yeah. wasted money, because I, you know, like some some negative consequence of what you did. Instead of just saying, well, maybe there is a negative. I mean, that's possible. I might have just wasted some time. Sure, I'm not the first person who's wasted time on the planet. Yeah. Okay. I'm not going to suffer. Yeah. I'm not going to suffer because I wasted time. Right. It's not a big deal. None of these things are big deals. Right. But the suffering is... But the suffering is a big deal because there's so much to clean up when you suffer, right? Yeah. I was going to say, it's not a big deal until it is a big deal. Right. You know, (laughs) I mean, if if um, if you're really chewing on something then it is, it's a very big deal because I do that. I mean, it's one of the things that I work on constantly. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Mary, you have anything? Should we dive in? I do not. All right. Let's do it. Who would like to read paragraph five? So, Amana, before we start, can we do the prayer? Oh, thank you for reminding me. That always gets me in a good space. I I just love you so much right now for reminding me. Okay. We absolutely can. And I don't have that book with me, so let me just pull it up on Facebook. Thank you for that reminder, Mary. It was selfish. (laughs) (laughs) And yet it was so good for all of us, too. Okay. So just wherever you are, take a nice deep breath. Mm -hmm. 
And then you can just repeat silently to yourself after me. I dedicate this time to healing my mind and awakening to my true nature. I surrender to the source of love within me and let it guide my way. As I do this work, I'm willing to be mindful of my thoughts without judgment. I am willing to look at the way I view my life circumstances as helpful feedback. I am willing to take responsibility for letting go of limiting thoughts and beliefs. I am willing to let go of judgments about myself and others. I am willing to quiet my mind and ask my true self to take the lead. I am willing to let go of tension. I soften and imagine my true self leading me into peace. My aware self leads me as I now focus on healing my mind. Another deep breath. All right. So who would like to read paragraph five? I will. All right, Karen. The sole responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. This means you recognize that mind is the only creative level and that its errors are healed by the atonement. Once you accept this, your mind can only heal. By denying your mind any destructive potential and reinstating its purely constructive power, you place yourself in a position to undo the level confusion of others. The message you then give to them is the truth that their minds are similarly constructed and their miscreations cannot hurt them. By affirming this, you release the mind from over-evaluating its own learning device and restore the mind to its true position as the learner. Okay, so we've talked quite a bit about that first sentence, the sole responsibility of the miracle workers to accept the atonement for themselves. So what does that mean if you accept the atonement for yourself? One, you recognize that it's only that your mind that can create. So we're going to get into that in some of the next paragraphs, that it's not your body that's creating. It's your mind that creates. So you understand where the level of creation comes from. So if you know that only your mind can create, then you know that only your, the only way to actually heal yourself is by healing your mind. So wherever the 
quote-unquote problem arose, that is where we have to apply the solution. The problem always arises in our mind, and so the solution always has to be applied to our mind. Um, If you start to think that, no, it's not my mind, it's my body that's doing this, my body's creating this, then you start to mix up the levels and you confuse yourself. You put yourself into a place where you can also confuse others. The message you give them to them is the truth that their minds are similarly constructive and that miscreations cannot hurt them. When you get the level straight, when you understand that this is all in my mind and I can change my mind, I am willing to see this differently. I know I'm not at peace. I am willing to see this differently. I'm not going to believe what my body's eyes are saying. I know that this is all in my mind. And I know that my body is telling me this is bad, this is really bad, this is terrible, because that's what I've trained my body's eyes to react as when it sees this thing happening. But I know that I'm the one who trained it to do that, i.e. my mind has trained my body to call this a bad thing when it's actually a good thing or it's actually a neutral thing. Everything is a neutral thing, the Course in Miracles would say. But I've given it the label bad, and so I'm willing to see this differently. Let me see the miracle. And when you do that, you become the miracle worker to others because you show them that they can do the exact same thing. And any miscreations that they've created with their mind can't actually hurt them. Just the fact that we've miscreated, we've used our minds to miscreate, doesn't mean we've changed reality with a capital R. So by affirming this, you release the mind by over over-evaluating its own learning device and, restore, and restore the mind to its true position, which is learner. And there's a section from uh, the Manual for Teachers which really talks about the acceptance of the atonement, about the, the work of the miracle worker. So I'm just going to read this to you. It's from the Manual of Teachers, um, Section 7, uh, or Chapter 7, Part 1, and um, the first one or two paragraphs. Whenever a teacher of God has tried to be a channel for healing, he has succeeded. Should he be tempted to doubt this, the teacher of God has only one course to follow. He must use his reason to tell himself that he has given the problem to one who cannot fail and must recognize that his own uncertainty is not love but fear and therefore hate. Having offered love, only love can be received. It is in this that the teacher of God must trust. Accepting the healing of his own mind is what is really meant by the statement that the one responsibility of the miracle worker is to accept the atonement for himself. The teacher of God is a miracle worker because he gives the gifts he has received, yet he must first accept them. He need do no more, nor is there more that he could do. By accepting healing, he gives it. So when we start to say, who am I to, how could I ever, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just new to this. I've just started the Course in Miracles. I haven't been studying it that long. I I don't know if I can be a miracle for someone else. When we start questioning ourselves, i.e. doubting ourselves, i.e. forgetting who we really are, That's when we have to use our power of reason, for those of you who are following Barbara's stuff and she talks about the power of reason. That's when we have to use our power of reason and say, wait a second, God's not going to fail. And if I'm the one who has to carry out this portion of the plan, 
to get us from point B to point C, if that's my task here on earth, God's plan's not going to fail. So I'm capable of getting us from point B to point C because that's what's in front of me. I know I'm capable because it happened. Byron Katie says this all the time. And it's kind of funny, but it's, it's really a true statement. How do I know that this should have happened? Because it did. So she's talking about all these horrible things that have happened to her. And she says, how do I know that that should have happened in my life? Because it did. So how do you know you're supposed to carry out this part of the plan? Because that phone just rang and you just got a message that you need to be in Atlanta tomorrow. Pack your bag. Let's go. How do you know if you should be in Atlanta tomorrow? It just happened. You just got the phone call. That's how you know. So I actually have a story about this. This weekend I was supposed to be in Hawaii with my sister and brother-in-law, and uh, or not in Hawaii, in Mexico. Same same difference, I guess, in my mind. I was supposed to be in, in Mexico swimming with the whale sharks, and I had my plane ticket. I mean, I was I'm all set to go. And then um, I was flying back on Tuesday, and I was going to meet up with them here in Illinois and see Mike for a few days and then fly back with them. Well, my flight got, we had the randomest weather. It, it, it didn't even, it didn't seem like a big deal. All the flights got canceled on Tuesday. Then the Wednesday morning flight was sold out. So the earliest flight I could get was Wednesday evening and we were supposed to leave out of Chicago, out of a totally different airport Thursday morning at 9 a.m. from Mexico. And I kept asking God, I kept saying, God, I don't know if I should go to Mexico or not. Can you give me a sign? And then all this stuff started happening. And I was like, well, maybe if I take this flight, I can still make it. Well, well, maybe if I do this, I can still make it. This is how our, our minds work. We can just ask for the message. We can just ask for the healing. We can just ask for the answer and get it. But then the minute we do that, I mean, that's pretty cool. I literally said, I don't know what I should do. Can you tell me? And my flight got canceled. Pretty clean, cut, clear message. But then I was like, oh, well, I mean, I, I know you don't want me to go to Mexico. However, maybe if I do this, maybe. And then the next flight would get canceled. And, the ne- and it's like, at what point am I just going to decide and accept that I'm not supposed to be on this trip? Right? Which is the guidance I asked for. So we're funny the way that we work. It's funny the way that our minds work. But all you've got to do is trust that you can just ask, and whatever happens, your flight will get canceled for a seemingly meaningless storm. And not only will your flight get canceled, but the rest of the flights, the entire airport will be in havoc if you're not supposed to go to Mexico. That's how it works. It's in that flow. And even when it works that way, you've got little me being like, um, so I know that's for a sign, but I was just thinking, and I know that's, I know I asked for a sign, and I know that is the sign that I asked for, but maybe, I don't know, maybe you just want me to check another airline? Is, is that <laughs> what you're, you know? And that's what we do. And that's, we're going to talk about the fear of healing. But those are the silly things we do, even when we know the answer. So let me stop there. Questions or thoughts on? Paragraph five. I know I do the same thing whenever I ask for an answer and I get it. I question it and question it and, you know, is that what it really meant? And I don't, you know, I don't have the trust to just go along with what the first instinct is that I feel. Well, 
I, I question it when it's the answer that I don't want. Yeah. That's always my problem. I do just fine when I get the yes, but when I get the no, like, ah, oh, but maybe, maybe you meant just not right this minute. Maybe you meant something, so I know exactly. Right. I never like it when I don't get the answer I want. Right. Right. And But yet we know, right? We We know you mm-hmm. didn't mean something different. We just mm-hmm. refuse to accept the healing. That's an example of refusing to accept the healing. Okay, who would like to read paragraph six? I'll do it. Okay. Um, It should be emphasized again that the body does not learn any more than it creates. As a learning device, it merely follows the learner, but if it is falsely endowed with self-initiative, it becomes a serious obstruction to the very learning it should facilitate. Only the mind is capable of illumination. Spirit is already illuminated and the body in itself is too dense. The mind, however, can bring its illumination to the body by recognizing that it is not the learner and is therefore unamenable to learning. The body is, however, easily brought into alignment with a mind that has learned to look beyond it toward the light. Okay, so this is what I feel like a summary of chapter 2, section 4 all over again. Right, So we're again saying creation happens at the level of the mind, not the level of the body. The body is just the learning device, and it will follow the mind, the learner, i.e. the mind is the learner, the body is the learning device. It will merely follow the mind wherever the mind goes. But if, if we falsely endow our body by saying, look what our body's doing, or it's because of our body, or it's because of anybody else's body. You know, look what he did to me. Look what she said to me. We're giving all of that power over to the action of another body. And when we do that and we get confused as to the level of what can create, that's where we fall into that darkness of confusion, where we fall into the nightmare. The only way out of this nightmare is through our mind. Only the mind is capable of illumination. Spirit, it's already illuminated. So when the mind connects to the spirit and brings the illumination of spirit through the mind and into the body, that is the proper function of the mind. Light is always there. The light is always available. It's always turned on. But if we go and block out the light, put something and cover up the light, it doesn't mean that the light's not there and it doesn't mean that the light's not turned on. It just means that we've created a block to light, which, again, remember, is how the course starts up. That The course is not here to teach you about love. And there's, there's no need to teach you about love. That's what you are. That's what you're surrounded by. That's what everything is. It's love. It's here to teach you how to remove your blocks to love. And that's what this is talking about. Again, once you connect with the light of the truth that's there and everywhere you can the mind can connect to that spiritual light and it can bring that light into the body coming the way that it brings the light into the body is the mind takes knows that it's the learner not the body so the body has no capability of taking control it's all in your mind however the minute that the mind takes back control and connects with the light the body will follow and align with that that's the role of the body So questions on this paragraph. 
how do you specifically um, connect your mind to spirit and keep it there, or at least just start there? <laughs> well, so you start with, remember, going back to the whole concept. You only have one job here, which is atonement. Oh. So you start, you start by seeing yourself as completely innocent. No matter what you do, no matter what you've done in the past, you just forgive yourself. And the more you do that practice, you can do it through meditation, you can do it through writing affirmations about yourself, right? There's a, a bunch of processes that will have you connect to the truth of who you are. But right. the more often you remember the truth of who you are, yeah, so I just cut that person off in traffic. I'm not a bad human being because I did that. That might not have been the highest, most loving action I could have taken. I wish that person love and light. But I'm not this horrific, terrible person because I did that. That's it. I forgive myself for cutting that person off in traffic. I have to do this all the time. I, like, kind of lose my cool with people. But you can't tell. Like, I'm, you know, still being nice or polite or whatever, uh, you know, enough nice or polite enough, but inside my head I'm thinking, this person's such a moron. And that's the level I'm creating on, right? That's my mind. Those are my thoughts. Thoughts create. That's the level I'm thinking on. And then I'm like, I'm going to, you don't, you don't need this. So I'm like, light and love to that person. <laughs> I say that all the time in my head. Light and love to that person. Yeah, I do. That's not the truth of who I am. I'm not the type of, the true Amina does not walk around thinking everybody on earth is a moron, but there's a version of Amina that can walk around the earth thinking a lot of people are morons. It's not the truth of who I am. I just have to keep reminding myself. And you all have probably had this experience, right? Like, um, have you ever, it's like the comedy of errors experience, like you, you make a mistake. And then you start thinking about the mistake you make and you're feeling bad about the mistake you make and then you make a second mistake. Yeah. And then you're like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I'm making so many mistakes. This is, like, ridiculous. I really have to get my act together. I feel so terrible. Like, what is wrong with me? And you make a third mistake. Yes. That's basically what The Course in Miracles is saying is, hey, after you made that first mistake, snap out of it. Be like, whoop, I made a mistake. That's okay. I'm still strong, smart, capable. I'm not the type of person who makes a mistake. I can fix it. Let me move on. Don't go into that freak-out mode that leads you to make mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake. And next thing you know, over the stupidest thing, you're ready to kill yourself. Yes. And what the heck is wrong with me, right? And yes. it's like, nothing. Nothing. You made one stupid mistake, and then you took over into this insanity in your mind about what a terrible person you are which just led to one bad thing after another happening because it's not the truth of who you are. Got it. Thanks. So you can start, Karen, very specifically by every time you think of something, just be like, oh, I forgive you for that, Karen. Oh, Karen, I'll forgive you for that too. I forgive you for that one too. And just kind of, you know, when you catch yourself, like I said, I've been doing this non-suffering practice. Uh, I've been really taking it on and really doing it. But there are times where I have been suffering for hours before I realize I was suffering to then drop the suffering. So, you know, sometimes you'll 
have criticized yourself 20 times before you even realize you're criticizing yourself to then change, turn it around, you know. And I've been talking to Lori. I'm like, oh, I'm doing really great. I'm really working. I'm doing great with the suffering practice. But Saturday I spent the whole morning suffering before I realized I was suffering. <laughs> <laughs> and that's just part of the process. You know, it's funny, right? I mean, I really yeah. do believe I'm doing great with the suffering practice, and yet I really have suffered quite a bit. My, I dropped my phone and stopped working. Oh, I suffered quite a bit of, over that one. And what was I thinking? And why didn't I put it in this case? And the one time I took it out of the case, I mean, and then after like a good hour, at least, I was like, oh, I forgot. I don't have to. I just dropped a phone. It's okay. You'll figure it out. You know, it's not a big deal. But I suffered for a long time before I even recognized I was suffering. Okay. Okay, paragraph seven. Was there another question? Yeah, I think it's my turn for seven. But before we do that, I just have to say that whole conversation that just happened, every time, every throughout the whole thing, I kept thinking about, I had written down last week during the call that we just need to see ourselves as the perfect child of God and extend that thought to all others, which right. sort of takes in everything you just talked about. Yeah, exactly. That's, yeah. I mean, that really, cause we, and, and that goes to, you know, just because you cover the light doesn't mean the light's not there. So just because you're in denial that you're a perfect child of God doesn't mean you're not. You can deny it. It doesn't change the fact that you're still perfect. Yeah. Right. And extend yeah. it to others. Yep. Yeah. And as soon as you accept it, Mary, you automatically extend it. Yep. And that's, you know, your acceptance extends it. When you, you know, when you realize you're a perfect child of God, then you realize the other person is too, and they're just having a meltdown. No biggie. That's actually helped me a lot. In the past week, I just have to say, it has been yeah. such an awesome week for me, emotionally and spiritually. Just because I've been at total peace, and it's been really weird, but <laughs> I'm not questioning <laughs> it. It just works. It's a good kind of weird. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's, that's the thought you've been using? That and, yeah, pretty much that. And the, the practices every day have been wonderful this week, so. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Peace is really, I mean, I didn't realize. I shared with you all chapter 18 that how quick we are to give our peace away. I just didn't realize how much comes from giving our peace away, how much suffering, how much physical toll on our body. I was talking to somebody today whose child is going, you know, adult child is going through just a really difficult time. And he said, you know, I, I feel so sick all the time. And he said, I just I have no idea if something's actually wrong with me or if it's just the stress because I've just sat here and worried about the what ifs and the you know and he said I I really think I'm just making myself sick and you know all I had in that moment for him was compassion because what do you tell somebody whose child's suffering you know oh don't worry this it's all an illusion you know <laughs> it's not really happening I mean it's some of these things just they take a toll and it, it really, it is really within us to flip that switch, Mary, kind of like, I'm a perfect child. Of God. I mean, you might not believe it in the moment you're saying it, but it's like, what other options do we have? 
So sitting here and suffering isn't making it any better. Right. All right. Paragraph seven. Okay. Corrective learning always begins with the awakening of spirit and the turning away from the belief in physical sight. This often entails fear because you are afraid of what your spiritual sight will show you. I said before that the Holy Spirit cannot see error and is capable only of looking beyond it to the defense of atonement. There is no doubt that this may produce discomfort, yet the discomfort is not the final outcome of the perception. When the Holy Spirit is permitted to look upon the defilement of the altar, he also looks immediately toward the atonement. Nothing he perceives can induce fear. Everything that results from spiritual awareness is merely channelized toward correction. Discomfort is aroused only to bring the need for correction into awareness. Okay, so um, another very interesting paragraph. So basically, all we are doing here is we're taking the journey from being with the eyes of our body, which is the ego, which is the nightmare, to seeing with the eyes of spirit, which is our spiritual self, which is our higher self, which is truth and reality with a capital T and a capital R. So that's the first sentence. We're on this journey of awakening. So we're watching things happen in front of us. Our eyes can see that person was not nice to me. Our eyes have seen that, and we're using our spiritual sight to override what our body's eyes are telling us. That's the first thing. Well, this process is really scary because we are all walking around thinking, well, like I'm ominous, which includes this physical space, this head, this body, these arms, this, these legs. That's ominous. And that's all that ominous is. I can't see anything else that's ominous. I can't see my spiritual self. I can't see my energy field. I can't see all the other things that make up what is this thing ominous. I can only see this body. So now you're telling me that even though my eyes are telling, I'm seeing danger, danger, danger. My eyes are telling me this is a dangerous situation. You're telling me to listen to this quiet voice that's barely whispering somewhere in my head that's telling me to trust. You're telling me to listen to that voice even though I have no clue what this voice is or where it came from or if it's just my imagination or if it's just me trying to make myself feel better about this impending doom that's coming. I have no idea what this is. You're telling me to listen to this voice to see through the eyes of this voice. So that is scary. It's scary because we so identified with our body. We spend no time identifying as our spiritual self, which is why everybody always talks about doing meditation, right? You hear every spiritual practice say, do meditation, do meditation, do meditation, because they want for 5, 10, 15, 20 minutes for you to connect your physical body with your spiritual self. That's why people keep talking about the importance of meditation, because it's a reminder of who you really are, and that's why that keeps coming up. And so that, you, that it helps bring that fear down. The second thing that we're so scared of is we're scared when our spiritual self is going to show us. We think our spiritual self is going to show us this horrific, terrible thing in our mind. Remember what I said in our opening, that our biggest fear is that there's something so horrifically wrong with us. And so if we keep looking from the spiritual eyes, 
and we have to go look in our mind, we're going to find this horrible, terrible thing. In this paragraph, it says, yeah, but Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit doesn't see like that. Holy Spirit doesn't see people as wrong and bad. I was listening, um, somebody sent me a link to Abraham Hicks' talk today about addiction. And this man was talking about how, uh, you know, he's been clean and using and clean and using and cleaning that cycle for a long time. And, uh, you know, was asking Abraham Hicks, was asking Esther basically about this. And she said, you know, when you're in a lot of pain, you're reaching for a better feeling thought. And sometimes the best way you can get to that better feeling thought is through using a substance. And then she turns to the audience and she says, now, don't get me wrong. Don't go out there and say, Abraham said it's okay to use drugs. She's like, that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is in that moment that you turn to an addictive behavior, in that moment that you use drugs, in that moment you are reaching for some comfort. You are reaching for some relief. You are reaching to get out of the pain you were feeling to something that felt a little bit better. And what you've learned by doing that over and over again is, yes, in that moment it helps but it causes all these other problems and it causes all these other issues and it's temporary. It's just a very interesting perspective. She didn't make any of that wrong. And that's like Holy Spirit. It's not going to make the fact that you lashed out at that person in that moment. It's not going to make you wrong for that. It's going to say, man, you must have been really hurt to act that way, to lash out like that. That is so not like you. You must have been really upset to do that. And so we are so afraid when we go and allow Holy Holy Spirit into our mind that it's going to see this horrifically defiled altar. But by not allowing Holy Spirit into our mind, we actually keep creating from a space of thinking we have a defiled altar, even though we don't. Our altar is always, that spiritual part is always pure and true. But we don't want Holy Spirit to come in because we're so afraid that Holy Spirit's going to see that it's defiled. And because we don't let Holy Spirit in, we keep acting from a place of having a defiled altar, whereas if we just let Holy Spirit in to see the altar, he would show us it's not defiled at all, and then we could get out of all this insanity and go be the wonderful human beings that we are. Does that part make sense? Yes. The defilement of the altar part? Okay, and it goes on to say, nothing he perceives can induce fear. Everything that results from spiritual awareness is merely channelized towards correction. Everything that results from spiritual awareness is merely channelized towards correction. By the way, this means the quote-unquote bad stuff too. But when you have something quote-unquote bad happen in your life, something that you, an experience you are not enjoying, that is channelized towards your healing. You're having that annoying person in your life because Holy Spirit wants you to finally heal this. And the more times you have this situation rub up against their rough edges, rub up against your rough edges, as Marianne Williamson says, eventually it's going to smooth it out. So, yeah, it's going to be uncomfortable at times, but sometimes the process of healing is uncomfortable. You know, to clean a wound, you rub, you put poor rubbing alcohol into it. It hurts like heck. It might not be comfortable in every moment. Just because it's not comfortable doesn't mean that it's bad. 
that might just be part of the path. And I was thinking about this too, as you all can see, paragraph seven, uh, it was, uh, it just really was speaking to me. Uh, it was a couple of days ago when I was prepping for this. I was thinking about those boys, those Thai boys in the cave. First of all, I could not stop watching that. I was like in an, in an unhealthy way obsessed with, I was checking my phone to get updates and wanted to know what was going on. I've never watched that much news on TV before in my life because I wanted to know what was going on. I was just, and every time they put a diagram up of how they did it and what the boys had to go through and stuff, I, every single time I turned to Mike and I was like, I couldn't do that. I would just, I, I would just tell him, just leave me here. Like, I, I, I cannot do that. It was just the idea of that much darkness, that small of a space. Why, I, I don't know. The combination of it just brought up so much fear inside me. And so here I am, you all, you know, student of the course, manifesting, don't, you know, do not pay any attention to this. And I'm like obsessively, pay. I mean, to the point where Mike's like, I, I really would appreciate it if you would just not watch any more of the story because he's watching the uh, impact that the story was having on me. So we're watching all of this happen. And then I was reading paragraph seven and I was thinking, you know, everything uh, is channelized towards correction and discomfort is aroused only to bring the need for correction into awareness. And I was like, that's exactly what Mike was saying. Mike was saying, if your life depended on it, you get in the bag, you do whatever the divers told you, you, you just do it. You wouldn't enjoy it. It wouldn't be fun. But you would just, in that moment, you would just do it. And that's what the Course in Miracles is saying, too. Just whatever shows up, it may not be fun, but you know what? You know that there's light at the end of the tunnel. You know where your freedom is. You know where release is. So just take the journey. You've got all these guys. You've got all these people. You've got a whole team of people who come to, quote, unquote, rescue you. And all you've got to do is walk in faith. Be willing to see it differently. Be willing to see through your spiritual eyes instead of your body's eyes. And know that it's going to feel really icky at times when you do that because it's uncomfortable because you're not used to doing it. So questions or thoughts on seven? Okay, are you all okay if I go just a few minutes over because I want to finish uh, eight, nine, and ten, but I don't have a lot to say about about them? I'm good. Okay. Yep. And and if you need to jump I'm off, good. feel free to. Okay, good. And if you need to jump off at any time, feel free to do that. So this is what I think I'm going to do: is let's just go ahead and read. Karen, you can read eight. Leslie, read nine. And Mary, read ten. And then I'll just talk. Actually, let's Karen. Why don't you read eight, and then we'll read nine and ten together because I have notes on them together. So let's do eight first separately, and then we'll do nine and ten. Okay. The fear of healing arises in the end from an unwillingness to accept unequivocally that healing is necessary. What the physical eye sees is not corrective, nor can error be corrected at any device that can be seen physically. As long as you believe in what your physical sight tells you, your attempts at correction will be misdirected. The real vision is obscured because you cannot endure to see your own defiled ulcer. 
But since the altar has been defiled, your state becomes doubly dangerous unless it is perceived. Okay. So I I talked about this at the opening of the call, but I'm just going to touch on it again. This concept of what we we really fear our mind because we think that in some way there's some issue there that only we have and nobody else has. So we really think everybody else has it figured up. They're all normal people, good days, bad days, ups, downs, you know, little life problems. But generally speaking, they're at peace. They're calm. They're happy. I'm the one who's nuts. I'm the one who's crazy. I'm the one who thinks I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'll never make it. I'll never succeed. Whatever. I'm the only one who has that. That is our biggest fear that there's, and, and, and there's nothing I can do about it because somehow my mind is defective. Nobody else has a defective mind. I'm the only one who has some sort of an issue or a defect in my mind. And so, therefore, this is why I have to suffer and this is what my life's going to be like. That's our biggest fear. So, by shining the light into our mind, we're so scared that people are going to be able to see that. So, we don't want to let anybody in. Um, one of the commentaries I read is we don't want to let the light into the basements or the attics because we're so afraid that if you turn the light in there, you're going to see all this junk and all this stuff in there. Whereas if you think about it, somebody lets you into their basement or attic and they turn the light on, they have all this cool stuff. You're like, oh my God, look at all this cool stuff in here. Let me go and look around to it, right? Everything, people's perceptions of what they have is, is what's really scaring them. So as long as you believe what your physical sights tell you, you're constantly going to be trying to compensate from a place of error. So as long as you keep believing the nightmare is accurate and then you wake up and you take action based on the nightmare, you're just going to create more stress, suffering, bad situations in your life because your whole premise is, is off. Your whole vision is off. So the real vision, spiritual vision is obscured because you are so scared to look inside your own mind and see what's there. But since you are not looking into your mind and seeing what's there, since you're not allowing the light in, since you're not allowing Holy Spirit in, you now become doubly dangerous until you start to see that everything I'm creating, I'm creating based on a mistaken belief. And this, in the Course in Miracles, what it would say is to say, ask God, use me. Use me for, you know, show me the way, show me the path. I think I've shared this story with you all, but I remember when, I've known Lori for a long time, uh, but I remember when a friend of mine told me, she's like, you know, you should call Lori, you should go see her. And she was telling me the story about Lori and what she, what she told me about her, what made me pick up the phone to, to call her in a more professional situation versus just as a friend. She said, you know, every morning Lori wakes up and she just goes wherever Holy Spirit tells her to go. And at the time, I was constantly stressed out in making decisions. Should I do this? Should I do that? Should I go here? Should I go there? Should I say this to this person? Should I say that? Should I wear this outfit? Does, does this look good on me? Does that look good on me? Should I wear this out tonight? Should I not wear this out tonight? I was just constantly stressed on what I should do. And I felt like everybody else, I thought everybody else wakes up in the morning, they go to their closet. And this was a big issue for me for a long time, you all. As like everybody wakes up in the morning, they go to their closet, they pick out something to wear, and they wear it. Not me. I go in my closet every day, 
and I think, what are all the things that I'm going to do today? Because I'm going to go to work, then I'm going to meet so-and-so, then I'm going to go here, then I'm going to go there. What if I, what if these shoes are uncomfortable after wearing them for eight hours? What if I get cold at work? What if I, and I would stand there in front of my closet, paralyzed, not being able to figure out what to wear. That's how paralyzed I was by decision-making. So when I heard that Lori just wakes up every morning and she just follows guidance and guidance tells her what to do all day, this sounded fantastic to me. And I was like, that's, just, that's what I want to be in. And at the time, I, I did not think that that state would even be possible for me. But, I mean, it really just was not realistic for me at that point in time. And now I've gotten there because I'm starting to see I – I don't know what the heck's going on ever. I never know what's going on. I, I never know what I should wear. I never know what I should do. This happened this morning, too. I got dressed, went out with Mike, and uh, got in the car and was freezing, and then spent the entire day freezing, and I thought, I should have put a sweatshirt worn something warmer. But now I'm just like, okay, this is the experience I'm having versus I should have, could have. Why didn't I think of what's wrong with me? All of that goes away when you start to put a little more trust and a little bit more faith and just ask, use me. I don't want to make any decisions. You tell me, okay, this person walked up to me. They're yelling at me. That must be what God wanted to have happen today. What should I do in this situation? And you stop and you ask, what should I do in this situation? This person's yelling at me. Ah, what do I do? And you listen to that voice to tell you this isn't real. Don't say that. Just say this. Walk away. Give them a funny look and walk away. Make a joke. Whatever your voice tells you to do, you start to be able to hear that. You start to be able to take action from that. So questions or comments on eight? All righty. Ms. Leslie? You want to read nine? Okay. Healing is an ability that developed after the separation, before which it was unnecessary. Like all aspects of the belief in space and time, it is temporary. However, as long as time persists, healing is needed as a means of protection. This is because healing rests on charity, and charity is a way of perceiving the perfection of another, even if you cannot perceive it in yourself. Most of the loftier concepts of which you are capable now are time-dependent. Charity is really a weaker reflection of a much more powerful love encompassment that is far beyond any form of charity you can conceive of as yet. Charity is essential to right-mindedness in the limited sense in which it can now be attained. Okay, and Mary, you want to go ahead and read 10? Charity is a way of looking at another as if he had already gone far beyond his actual accomplishments in time. Since his own thinking is faulty, he cannot see the atonement for himself, or he would have no need of charity. The charity that is accorded him is both an acknowledgement that he needs help and a recognition that he will accept it. Both of these perceptions clearly imply their dependencies on time, making it apparent that charity still lies within the limitations of this world. I said before that only revelation transcends time. The miracle, as an expression of charity, can only shorten it. It must be understood, however, that whenever you offer a miracle to another, you are shortening the suffering of both of you. 
this corrects retroactively as well as progressively. Okay. So we're talking now about how do we heal others. So we're, the only role of the miracle worker is to heal ourselves. And the minute that you heal yourself, you automatically become the miracle for other people. You automatically become that miracle worker for, for somebody else. Of course, the miracles is getting into the nitty-gritty how-to. So how do you actually do this? So now you've healed yourself. I had this whole crazy thinking, you know, even this something as getting dressed in the morning, right? I had this issue or whatever. Now somebody comes to me in my coaching practice and says, I am rotten with anxiety. I can't even decide how to get dressed in the morning. Charity is what comes into play in that moment where I say, I look at that person who is sitting there wringing their arms, they're anxious, they're falling apart, they're having the hardest time in life, they're behaving weirdly, they're doing all these weird things, and I can see them as completely healed. I can see them as the person that they are capable of being, even though their actions right now are not meaning that. And then I get the compassion where I look at them and I say to them, it's okay. It's okay. Right now, you're just in the nightmare. It's okay. Everything's okay. And I recognize that even though they're acting weird and even though they're being bizarre and all of that, it's just a call for love. I can have compassion for them because I remember what that was like. I know exactly how that feels. I know exactly how confused they are in their own head right now in this moment. So I can have that compassion and I can see them as completely healed. I can see them much further along the path than where they are. If you read, I'm reading a great book right now, by the way, called How to Talk to Men. Um, I forget the name of the author, but I'll, I'll post it. It's such an interesting book. But she keeps coming back to pretty much the same concept. As she says, see, see the person, see the man in your life as who you want him to be, and he will become that. So just see him as that. Regardless of what he's doing, it's very course in miracles. Don't look at the actual behavior that your body's eyes are telling you he's doing. See beyond that to who you want him to be and treat him as if he is who you want him to be, and that is exactly how he becomes. The same concept over here. When we look at each other, we look at that annoying person, uh, we look at that mean person, whatever, and we think under that mean person there's really a kind person. And even though they just said something obnoxious to us, we laugh and say, oh, Howard, you're so kind. You're always complimenting me. And we do a little laugh when we walk away. Eventually, Howard has to shift to the way that we're seeing him. That's how we become the miracle. And what the Course in Miracles is call, calling that process is charity, because it is in this world. It is marked by time. We are our body's eyes are saying uh, Howard's not being nice to you. Like you're just saying he's being nice to you because you're trying to do this Course in Miracles thing because you're hoping he'll eventually be nice to you, but he's actually not being nice to you. So it is time bound, but what you're doing is you're seeing the future Howard in this current minute. So even in the current moment, Howard doesn't seem to be able to connect to love or to connect to kindness. You see within Howard the capability to connect to loving, to connect to love and connect to kindness, and you treat the current day Howard as if he is the future day Howard. And that that treatment of him in that way is the act of charity. And it's also the miracle. So questions on 
the concept of charity and how they talk about it here or any, I didn't go through this one sentence by sentence. Is there um, any questions on any of the specific sentences in here? No, but it makes sense. <laughs> it really it works. Yeah. You can do yeah. this with kids. Yeah. yeah. We should practice this this week. We should choose a person, each of us in our life, and see them as their perfect, divine, wonderful self with all the qualities that, you know, we want them to be capable of, we wish for them to be capable of, and just see what happens. You know, I did this, um, I, I was put on a project with a woman that uh, that I knew didn't like me from we had worked together in the past. I knew that she and I just didn't get along, and I knew she she wasn't my biggest fan. I quote unquote, quote unquote knew that. And then I had gone to this Jack Canfield training, and I had learned about energy and how you can send your love ahead of you, and all this other stuff. And I was so nervous to, and I would have to be reporting to her, working for her. And I was so nervous on my first day of seeing her, and uh, you know, was just so so tense about the whole thing that the entire car ride in to D.C., which was over an hour. The entire hour I spent sending her love and praying for her happiness. I don't think I knew the concept of praying for her happiness, but just sending my love to her, thinking good thoughts about her, all of, all of that. Just I, I kept her in my focus, and I sent her so much love. I surrounded her with so much love. And then I walked into the office, and I'm meeting her. And part of the reason we didn't get along is she, is, she was very, in my opinion, very one of the guys, uh, you know, kind of made self – or made – jokes about women, not sweet, not girly, none of that. Um, and, you know, so by contrast, I just seemed so naive and girly and not powerful in contrast to her. And so that was part of what our dynamic was at that time. So I hadn't worked for a year had passed in between the last time we had worked together, at least maybe even longer. So I walk in because I just spent this whole hour praying for her. I walk in and I saw her not in her office. I saw her like outside in the, I'm walking towards her office, still sending her like all this love. And like, then I accidentally run into her a little bit too early. And I saw her and I was like, Oh Oh my gosh, it's so good to see you. And I went and I grabbed her and I gave her a huge hug. And she went stiff as a board in my arms. And I was like, Oh, I was like, we, she doesn't hug. What am I doing? But at that point, it was too late. I was already hugging her. So I just squeezed <laughs> her. And she literally didn't put her arms up. Nothing. She just that. But our entire relationship changed after that point. Obviously. I mean, I looked so darn happy to see her. Like, I looked like I had seen my, like, my long-lost friend in that moment. Her energy had to change to meet that. And I, I would have never purposely done that, you all. It's just I've been so long sending her love. I was so madly in love with her by the time I walked in the office. And I didn't, I, I didn't even compose myself before I got a chance to see her to bring myself back down to her. So that stuff worked. And then I found out much later, of course, her and I went out to lunch. We ended up becoming friends. You know how this whole story goes. And I found out much later that the entire time she wanted to be more like me. And wow. that was part of the reason she was she was kind of, like, not very nice to me. She was never mean to me. She just was dismissive of me. But mm-hmm. the reason for that was because she admired me so much. Crazy. 
Wow. So this stuff works. So well, let's let's do that this week. Let's see yeah. somebody as like our superstar, best employee, best coworker, whatever, best partner, best chick kid. It does work. I've I've done it a few times on a few different people, and it's like people try to live up to what you expect from them. Yeah. Well, it works. I feel like it works for all the Southern girls. I feel like they just have this like view of their man, and then their man becomes that. Yeah. So, you know, they yeah. kind of have this concept of that. So we'll call it our um, our Southern girl charm for this week. Good. <laughs> Operation Southern girl charm. Is that what it is? Yeah. I like it. All right. I am the Southern girl here. So. Operation SGC. <laughs> you and Mary are both Southern girls. You guys have it. You guys will lead our way. I'm not quite a Southern girl. I've only lived down here for 24 years. So I, I think you might have an inside scoop. Yeah, I think that, though, it takes longer down here. <laughs> to be accepted as such. But that's okay. I can act as if. You can act as if. We'll try it. <laughs> try it and report back on our desk. I say y'all once in a while, and I'm 62, <laughs> so. Oh, okay, so next week um, we'll go back to Wednesdays, again, our normal Wednesday 7 p.m. time. So next Wednesday uh, 7 p.m., what's the date? 20-something? 25th, Wednesday, 25th at 7 p.m. Um, and then we'll also do Wednesday, August 1st at 7 p.m. And then uh, probably skip that next week. I'll be at the Jack Canfield training. And then uh, following that, we'll just keep it on Wednesdays. And I'll do a 1, 3 p.m. somewhere in August just to give other folks a chance who can't make the 7 p.m. time to come on. But we will go back to our kind of normal call schedule after this with the exception of of Wednesday, August 8th. Um, and so next week we'll cover the special principles of miracle workers, and we'll, we'll talk about that, and then we'll go ahead and move forward into Section 6, Fear and Conflict. So that is it for tonight. I'm going to go ahead and end the recording, and then anyone who wants to stay on and just talk, chat with the recording off, I am happy to stay on. So talk to everybody Wednesday, ending the recording now. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.